Hi guys, I'm Samantha. And I'm Courtney. And this is the We Would Have Burned podcast, the podcast where two historians bring you the most interesting topics surrounding the uh, theme of the episode. Uh, and this theme we have today, Courtney picked this theme that we have today, and it's a good theme. Yeah, I'm excited and horrified at my own, like, choice, um, <laughs> but I, I was reading something the other day, which if you're on our Facebook group, I reposted an article about war crimes that, uh, like, Japanese war crimes, and it brought up Unit 731, which I'll be talking about, and so I was like, hey, Samantha, wouldn't it be so cool to do an episode on human experimentation groups? And she foolishly was like, yes. <laughs> it appealed so, to my conspiracy theorist heart. Yeah, and I was just like, ooh, good, this definitely won't give me nightmares or make me really sad or have to cuddle my toddler because of how sad it is, so. Also, just warning you guys, it is hot. It's hot everywhere, and my house is, um, you know, no, no stranger to the heat. So if you hear this, it's because I'm sitting on my floor because it's the coldest <laughs> part of my house. I'm getting a nice breeze from an open window, so you might nice. hear it rain. And um, that's for aesthetics, water. though. So <laughs> earlier we were talking, and there was like a really big thunder, uh, like sound Clap. and lightning, and I was like, "Ooh, we're gonna be one of those cheesy podcast groups that <laughs> makes it seem like we're tales from the crypt." That's I actually I have my husband in our yard and he's just spraying the roof <laughs> with a with a hose. And every once in a while he just shakes a metal sheet to make it sound like thunder. He's doing foley artistry out in the yard. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, crunching wet leaves or something. I don't know. We also did we want to talk about this at the top or at the end? We didn't discuss, but um, this episode is the penultimate episode before we're gonna take. Uh, a, a little tiny eensy weensy hiatus. Yes. Um, we'll talk about it, I guess, more at the end. So stick around to the end if you want to hear more details of that. But it's pretty much just so I can move and Courtney can push a baby out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, no yeah. Baby. I don't think y'all want to hear a podcast where I only have, like, two hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm, like, low-key just chilling with a baby while trying to talk about like dead people <laughs> so uh yeah we're gonna take a short break but we'll talk about it at the end of the episode otherwise I was gonna bring up just as like an interesting thing that's happening um right now in terms of like true crime and if you're into like the just crime history in general um Trump just announced that they're trying to reinstate federal executions which have been on hold since 2003 um, so states continue to execute, mostly Texas and Florida, uh -huh. but um, the the federal government has paused for a period of time, mostly because it was brought to court as like unconstitutional and there was like this big fight. So it's not starting officially yet, but it because it's going to have to continue in a court battle, which is basically the story of everything Trump does, seems like lately. Um but yeah, Ooh, I just hot takes. interesting. Ooh. This is a hot takes pod. Here's my tea. Um, <laughs> no, but like genuinely, like everything seems to be going to court in the news cycle. It's like, yeah, yeah this is about to happen. Ooh, but wait. A, <laughs> like a, a circuit court judge at, in Maryland is stopping it. Whoa. Sorry, I dropped my pen. Um, that was just another. Just throw in my pen. 
Damn it. She's just um, done with these circuit court judges. The circuit courts. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is not the time in my law career to be like, I'm done with the circuit courts. But, yeah, um, probably not. Nor to be on record going, ugh. But, ugh, circuit um, courts. Yeah, this will play in, I think that it, after you hear mine, because mine is an American tale that should be somewhat familiar to most of our listeners. Um, maybe this this current news thing that you're sharing, Courtney, will come back around yeah. and you guys I think will have it'll, some thoughts. I think it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, like the big question is like we have a, people that get exonerated with DNA evidence and, uh, you know, the question is like, how long should you have to wait before you decide someone's like officially guilty? Um, and I reposted the article and immediately the first two comments I got on my personal page were like pro and very con. (laughs) So just starting out the gate real aggressive. Uh, I think the most interesting thing I've learned about executions in general is that there's not actually like a, um, regulated way to do it. Supposedly lethal injection actually doesn't like, you know, I've always heard that some of the downsides of lethal injection are that we don't really know how it works and and dosing wise. Mm -hmm. Like we understand the concept of what it's supposed to be doing, but it's really impossible to do any like medical science on on exact doses and getting that right right. and then i think the other part of it is like most states there's not a doctor who will administer it because of the hippocratic oath and so they um just have like a guy yeah just a random person do it and um there's no like legislation or regulation on what drugs they use so a lot of state prisons especially since they have such a budget crisis will use um expired Products. Oklahoma got in a lot of trouble for this, that they were using, like, random drugs, like, just yeah. random opioids trying to... Normally, they do phenobarbital, which mm-hmm. is, weirdly enough, so I feel, like, weirdly attuned to this system, because I worked as a vet tech for, like, six months, and it's basically the same process you do for, like, putting an animal to a sleep. You put them into a sedated heavy sleep and then you give them phenobarbital which causes a heart attack yeah that was another part that i I guess was troubling was the whole heart attack aspect but wasn't there a guy this month who was executed in 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 a strange way um like you can choose your death in certain states yeah utah lets you do firing squad bundy chose to do the electric chair I don't know. I, I honestly, uh, this is inspiring some deeply held anxieties in me. Like I think I watched The Green Mile too early. Oh yeah, <laughs> that just... was such an upsetting movie. I was not supposed to watch it. Fun Green Mile story. My parents uh, got it from Blockbuster, so quickly aged myself. And um, I, we had like a living room. Uh, our hallways with our bedroom is like right off the living room, and I sat on the stoop of the hallway and watched it, and oh. got so upset. I used to do that for The Sopranos. I would sneak down the staircase and I would sit on the bottom step of the staircase and I would listen to The Sopranos. Oh wow! While my parents watched it on Sunday nights. That would be wild. To the point context. that my mom had it had to start, I believe, like locking herself in her bedroom. And then stacking stuff against the door because I would, like, go get a credit card and try to, like, 
open oh the lock. Like, Mom, what are you doing in there? That sounds so much Mom, like we're not allowed to lock now. the doors. Mom. <laughs> that is my dog and my toddler every time I go to the bathroom. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> Mom, like at this point, I'm going to, I have like the opposite of performance anxiety. Like, I don't know what it's like to go to the bathroom without somebody like <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> or just like breathing heavily claps. at the door. Just so, exciting moms. You know, that's just our uplifting childhood tales before we get into like some real tough this stuff. Is so be guys, dark. this is a tough stuff episode. It's a tough stuff episode. So yeah. if if you don't want to hear about uh, all manner of, of torture and mistreatment, I would say next time it'll be a demon episode. It's gonna be really fun. So yeah. maybe you know I need to skip. whip out all my demonic knowledge. Which I've I, gotten way more like talking time lately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm excited. But yeah, this topic, um, I kind of chose it because, especially like Unit 731, um, it frustrates me that so many of these cases have been ignored largely by like popular history. Um, and it bothers me because obviously we've just sort of like swept aside a whole lot of human misery and like abuse. Um, especially in this case, because like it really has not been acknowledged at all by Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, there's been some recent court cases that I was going to bring up. Um, but, you know, I was kind of offended as an adult learning about this later that it wasn't something covered in our um, history classes. Like they talk about like the rape of Nanking, but they don't talk about what happened after. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. sort of like skim. So. Kind yeah, of why take us picked, away. Yeah, kind of why I picked this just as like a preface. I don't enjoy topics like this, but I also have this like firm commitment as a historian to like shed light on people who have been largely ignored. Mm-hmm. That's like I think a thing that all historians should be doing, which is why I don't study dead white guy history. My guys are well, I don't know. I I don't know. This is like technically. This is eleventh hour me trying to defend myself. (laughs) Like, well, uh, no, like, sorry. I mean, I study the Angevins, but like, I try to like, I like my little subgroups of history whenever possible. So, Mm -hmm. no, nobody, like, no shame in the game if you're like into dead white guy history. (laughs) Sorry. Um, That's just, I don't know. That's why I decided to be a historian. Uh So. I posted this article, so some of you are in the Facebook group, you might have already kind of heard about these things, Um, but this is going to be kind of a dicey topic because since so much of it was excused after the war, we don't have a ton of first-person accounts. Um, We only have a few, and they're from soldiers that were parts of the unit. And so one of the most famous witnesses that came out after the war uh, and talking about Unit 731 and being kind of open about the atrocities that were committed there was uh, Yoshio uh, Shinazuku, who was a soldier at 15 who was assigned to the Unit 731 uh, to work as like a guard. Why don't you, so Unit 731 was Japanese? Yes. Um, So the background is um, long before World War II started in that sort of like post-World War I period, um, Japan had um, 
started a number of expansion attempts into Asia. They realized that being an island nation meant that they didn't have a lot of resources available. So they start looking towards Manchuria and China as potential areas where they could very quickly expand and take over. They were in a good position after World War I, better than China and Manchuria. So in 1931, they take advantage of their position and their preparedness for war to attack Manchuria and install like basically a false state there under a Japanese approved leader. Um, in Manchuria at that time, and probably now too, the majority of um, the population were Chinese that were just living there. And so uh, these Chinese citizens sort of passively attempted to uh, stop Japanese control over the area, um, mostly through trade. They tried to um, impede Japanese control of trade via railroads. They tried to build around Japanese railroads to kind of like subvert their control over that. And eventually mm -hmm. um, it irritated the Japanese enough that in 1934, the emperor of Japan actually declared that China was a Japanese preserve that had no authority to make any decisions without Japanese approval. So essentially all of they China? Said, all of China. <laughs> um, bold, which is a bold big, strategy, Cotton. Bold move. This um, is here the manager. Yeah, so they basically said, like, China now belong, all your bases belong to us. Was question, because I know Korea kind of factors into this too, was, was Korea an independent peninsula? I think Korea was controlled by China and oh. therefore would have been, like, just absorbed as well. I am woefully ill-informed about my 20th century. I am also century. not a really great Korean historian. I talk about it in, like, my ancient world class, but, like, obviously mm -hmm. that doesn't help very much in this system. So mostly they're focusing on China. China at this time is mid-communist nationalist revolution fight. We mm -hmm. got like Chiang Kai-shek. We got like all these people fighting in China. Um, and so uh, ironically, the one place that communists and nationalists could get together on was that ja Japan sucked and they didn't want to be invaded by them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so these people kind of gather together as like, sort of passive resistance and like, you know, arguing diplomatically that they don't. Eventually this leads to Japan invading China officially in 1937. Mm -hmm. So they use this very minor incident between ja uh, Chinese and Japanese troops on the Marco Polo Bridge as justification for a full invasion, kind of like their version of the Boston Massacre, but it wasn't a massacre. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese basically saw this like rising nationalist movement as this huge threat to Japanese control, because obviously it's Chinese nationalism, not Japanese, Japanese nationalism. Yeah. So it's not really a stretch there. Um, but they, as the nationalist movement kept getting more and more popular, they were like, we got to do something about that. So they invade China. Um, unlike China, which had been distracted by all these internal issues and basically a civil war, um, Japan had been rallying for war. So they're very prepared for this invasion. They very quickly take over most of the major ports of China, all their chief cities, and their railways so that they can continue to dominate and trade and resources. Mm -hmm. 
So what we know about this early invasion is primarily through tales of atrocity. Um, because we know that when they first invade China, Japanese officers use this opportunity as a way to train their soldiers in methods of violence. Okay. So um, the one that sticks out and is, continues to be like one of the most notable massacres from this initial invasion is the Rape of Nanking, um, which led to... It, it's an arguable figure because the Japanese only acknowledge like 30,000 but the Chinese point to at least 100,000 to 300,000 civilians dying. Basically, the Japanese soldiers took all the POWs out of the city, used them for bayonet and shooting practice, and then went back into the city and started killing civilians. Mm-hmm. So, horrific yeah. to uh, say the atrocities. Least. It's already, like, even before we get to the unit, it's already, like, really, really nasty war crimes in the area. Mm-hmm. So in 1938, uh, the government starts looking for ways to support their army medically, predominantly. Um, so they're basically the similar things that you see in the Holocaust uh, and like with Mengele and the Angels of Death, where they were experimenting on POWs and um, Jews caught in concentration camps, they take advantage of how much of a captive population they now have as a way to, um, one, create better medical procedures and to uh, sort of fine-tune military technologies using these captive people. So they start out with a steady stream of POWs, and then they just start using civilians whenever they feel like it. So this is not the only unit that was created for military and uh, medical testing, but Unit 731 goes down as the most notorious. Um, It started officially as a research and public health agency, but that basically very quickly became just a cover for one of the most vicious human experimentation groups of World War II. Um, It's established officially in 1938 uh, there's two bases. One is in the Japanese-controlled area of China, and then they had a second location, which is baffling to me, in central Tokyo. Oh. So they were openly experimenting on humans in horrific ways in downtown Tokyo. Was it like um, a military base? or It was like a hospital that was like shut down to the public. Oh, okay. It was headed by military doctors, uh, notably Lieutenant Shiro Ishii was known as the main leader of the unit, but um, they also had a number of uh, doctors that were known for their own brand of vicious experiment. Mm-hmm. So these experiments range from testing human endurance to the abilities, uh, body's ability to withstand pain, extreme temperatures, disease, uh, primarily used Chinese prisoners as test subjects, but they also used Mongolian, uh, Russian, Korean, like anyone they could catch, they used. Yeah. And it didn't matter if you were a soldier, they liked women, children, elderly, like they tried to get every facet of the population because they justified it by saying that their results would help the civilian population, so they needed a broad spectrum, but... It's basically Mm -hmm. an excuse to use people that are typically considered to be, like, outside of the scheme of war. So this is officially into war crime 
yeah. scenarios. So, um, obviously, there's a lot of um, examples of these experimentations. I've kind of highlighted the ones that stand out. Um, so, one of the doctors that was particularly well-known was uh, Yoshimuro Hisato, who was fascinated and obsessed with the effects of hypothermia on the human body. So uh, within the unit, he ran a subgroup that focused on trying to prevent and treat hypothermia. And he did this by routinely freezing limbs of prisoners by submerging them in ice water until the limb went frozen solid or was covered in enough frost that there was no sensation in them. Oh my God. Then Why would you would... do it that way? Yeah, it's horrifying. Oh Some God. of them, they also, you know, talked about how they would just expose people uh, to the elements outside mm-hmm. and just wait until they got hypothermia. Um, but oh his God. route using the freezing water was faster. Why wouldn't you just use, like, liquid nitrogen? I have no idea. Like, wouldn't that be instant? Well, I guess that, like, freezes it solid. That's true. trying to defend it. Well, one of the eyewitness accounts of his experiments said that frozen limbs sound like a plank of wood when hit with a cane. So I'm willing to bet he was doing more than just trying to thaw and unthaw limbs. Oh, my God. Once the limb was frozen, he did a number of experiments that included throwing uh, boiling water onto the limbs to try to flash thaw them, uh, exposing them directly to fire, or just seeing how long of it would take for the victim's blood to rethaw it. So they would just like leave the person overnight with a frozen arm. Would it, I mean, I... It almost feels unethical to ask about the results, but, like, I was under the impression if, if it's going to freeze to the point that frost is on it, would yeah, blood even flow dead. back into it? Um, no, like, you get nerve and tissue damage so badly oh, okay. that that's, like, the problem is, like, it essentially just kills the limb. So, Which, I guess, Have you uh, seen Snowpiercer? The Chris Evans joint? hmm Yeah. So, like, they do that scene where the guy sticks his hand out and it like freezes up to the arm or whatever you have a really vivid memory of Snowpiercer. i watched it only like a couple months ago oh okay i, I so watched it, like it in theaters and i was like i think i just watched the whole thing like this shit's crazy <laughs> it is a wild movie like it's it's definitely not like a favorite i wouldn't like encourage people to go see Snowpiercer because he talks about eating babies it's very jarring if you're like a captain america fan to watch chris evans <laughs> in this movie um, but but so the yeah the, the yeah frozen so like there's thing. that scene if if you want like a visual representation i think that's like the the closest i've ever seen in like media mm-hmm. um But yeah, so a a number of hypothermia, which we see parallels with what like Nazi camps were doing as well with that. Um, The one thing that like really stood out to me was how they handled the psychological effects of human experimentation on their soldiers. Um, You know, no matter how bad of a person you are, unless you're like a sociopath that has like no empathy or a lack of empathy, uh, which is like a legitimate like mental disorder that you can have, uh, you still are going to react to this. So when we see this like 15 year old soldier who is like an adult when he was talking about it, he talks about like how hard they work to brainwash the soldiers into not seeing the, um, 
victims and prisoners as victims and prisoners, but instead they preferred to call them Maruta, which is Japanese for logs. Oh. So they literally referred to them as basically blocks of wood waiting to be carved into whatever they needed to be. And so where we see Maruta being discussed most is in the medical experimentation. Um, and this unit was infamous for performing vivisections on conscious prisoners in order to study injuries and the progress of disease in the body. Um, one of the diseases that they were particularly interested in was syphilis because anyone who studied any kind of military history will tell you that syphilis is like a constant issue throughout mm-hmm. history. Even in the Middle Ages, they're complaining about like the French pox is what they call it, but it's syphilis. And so... They uh, started with their syphilis research using volunteers from the Japanese army, ironically, people who already had signs of disease. But once the experiment started to lean towards more invasive um, like experiments, they mm-hmm. didn't want to actually affect Japanese army members, so they turned to the civilians instead. So without... Consent being an issue, victims get uh, used in more and more painful experimentations. So um, they purposely infected people with cholera and the bubonic plague. Uh, And then in the process of, in specific processes of the disease, they would cut open the person and then remove organs so they could study what the organ was doing at different periods. Uh, that doesn't like, even feel, like, necessary. Yeah, it's insane. Um, they wanted to review the effects of the disease on the body. They also did stuff that sounds like literally out of the human uh, centipede movie. They amputated limbs and then attempted to reattach them to opposite sides of the body. Or they purposely uh like cut the circulation to limbs in order to study the effects of gangrene. Um, When a victim was too ill to continue, they would either be shot or killed by lethal injection. There was also rumors that some of the victims after they lost their feasibility as a medical experiment would be buried alive. They just didn't bother to kill them. Oh. So, um... When they came down to, like, disease was one of the big highlights of this program because their idea was that they would be able to use plagues as biological warfare, specifically the bubonic plague, Yersinia pestis, which, you know, famously wiped out a third of Europe. Um, Their goal was to use a heavy-duty version of the strain to depopulate problematic areas without having to send in an army for it. So what they would do is they'd introduce people to the plague and whichever people died fastest, they would take the strain of the virus that they had from them and then just continue to like morph it into a stronger and stronger disease. I'm not going to include the stories and details of how they did this because it was upsetting to me and I'm usually pretty good at disassociating with some like nasty historic stories but those were beyond me so I'm just gonna keep this very like 
Uh, yeah, I guess, guys, if you want to look this up, this is all, like, we're not talking about anything that you have to do a Freedom of Information Act on. No. Like, just Google um, it. There's, if you're, like, you want to know the gory details, New York Times in 1996 published an article where they were interviewing a um, anonymous soldier from Unit 731 that talks about vivisections and whatnot, um, and how they treated prisoners. If you want to do that, you can do that, but I'm not going to. I feel like we would have to, like, rate this podcast at, like, an R if I got explicit about some of these. So, rest assured that these are things that I'm going to have nightmares about, but I don't want you to have nightmares about. Um, so, basically, they breed this super strain of bubonic plague. Once they're satisfied with how fast it works and affects, which is... Um, so, just a quick rundown of bubonic plague, at least the medieval version. There's three versions of it. Bubonic is actually the nicest. You have a 75% chance of dying, but 25% of living. Uh Um, You have the pneumonic, which is lung-oriented, which is primarily around Britain, Ireland, the UK had that. It spreads really quickly, has a shorter um, gestation period, and you got a 50-50 shot with that. Um, And then the worst one is septicemic, which is bloodborne, and it's 100% fatality. So I'm going to assume that they were trying to breed septicemic bubonic or the septicemic version of Yersinia pestis. So once they were satisfied with the speed of their disease, they left prisoners that were um, diagnosed with the illness in rooms full of fleas. And then they took the fleas out of the room once the people were dead, after they'd fed on the prisoners that were sick. And then they put them in clay bombs and sealed them in sand to oh, make, with like... the idea that you would just be able to, like, bomb... Yeah. And they just basically deconstructed the fleas on the rats that led to, like, the death ships of 1380... Or 46... And did it in a modern way. And they actually tested it. Uh, They deployed it over a Chinese village um, called, uh, I'm going to probably mess this up, but uh, Chutzau. And uh, the civilians that survived the attack said that they felt a red dust fall over the city. And then everyone started complaining about rashes caused by flea bites. And within that village, which I couldn't find a population of what the village was, but 2,000 people died from the disease in that village, and it also spread to a nearby village where 1,000 more died. And we think that maybe because of how fast they bred this strain of the plague to go, it actually kept it from spreading faster. Because if the carriers die before they can actually, like, before they're showing, um, usually if you're not showing symptoms, you're like the worst kind of carrier. Um, And that's what happened in Europe is that it takes like three to seven days to see the bubonic plague symptoms. So people would see other people getting sick and then they'd flee the city and spread it without realizing it. So because it happened so fast, it kept it from being an outbreak. And scarily enough, since these plague bombs worked well, there were actually plans in Unit 731 to drop plague bombs on San Diego in 1945. The only thing that stopped it from going off was uh, the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. 
So it's a weird positive to killing millions. Like, I don't. Oh, I don't I know. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to drink my warm water. Yeah. It's just always <sighs> a weird side effect, I would say. Um, yes. But yeah, it could have been used on the U.S. They also talked about using the weather balloons to drop plague bombs. But the weather balloons famously were a dud. So um, yeah. these were going to be dropped by kamikaze pilots. The flea bombs or the... The flea bombs, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, they also, you know, tested the effectiveness of weapons like bayonets, flamethrowers, machine guns on unarmed prisoners. They would just herd them into a field and lay into them. Uh, they tested gas chambers with nerve gas and blister agents. Uh, a lot of Russians died in those activities. I don't know why the Russians were chosen for gas chambers, but they were. Um, some doctors also did basic experiments on the effects of seawaters where they forced victims to only drink seawater, which famously will make you go insane because it dehydrates you faster. Um, they studied crush injuries by dropping objects on victims from varying heights. They forcibly did animal blood transfusions into people, which is an incredibly painful thing uh, to experience. Prolonged x-ray radiation uh, exposure to see how that would affect people. Um, they loaded people in large groups into centrifuges to study the effects of G-forces. Basically spun them until they passed out or died. One of the notations that they managed to save after uh, World War II was that young children really don't do well with G-forces. Um, so oh. we know that they did that to all ages. Um, and much like the U.S. did with African-American communities, Unit 731, like I said, was really interested in syphilis and treated it or were interested in the effects of syphilis on untreated victims. So with the idea that they could keep it from spreading in their own ranks, or when it did, they could possibly stop it. So what they did was they took infected males and encouraged them to rape both male and female prisoners so that they too would be infected, and then they could ensure that they had a large population of victims to then test. Um, rape was a consistent and widespread issue among prisoners, uh, mostly because doctors encouraged it because they enjoyed testing on pregnant populations because they claimed their findings would be used to help the civils, uh, civilian populations. However, not a single piece of research from Unit 731 was ever published. I always wonder because I had I took a class where we talked about um, like the Nazi experiments and they said the, that the Nazi experiments had led to this medical text mm -hmm. that was like the most complete anatomy book, you know, because they were able just like from population alone to do these insane anatomy uh, photographs. But right. I always but but that it was of course like not considered acceptable to like use that today mm -hmm. i i wonder though if like were they 
because the Nazis, I don't think, were necessarily like doing it for the sake of this anatomy textbook, but they had this huge anatomy study. I wonder if yeah. there was. It's amazing how many breakthroughs sort of... you can get when you no longer care about human decency or the care of your subjects. Like when you toss away the Hippocratic Oath, you can do a lot of things. I wonder, I guess, if they were intending at some point to actually publish this stuff and then it was just cut short. Well, so what happens is after Japan surrenders due to the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, Unit 731 is officially disbanded and they basically do everything they can to hide what they did. Uh, 13 years of research is burned. Uh, the testing sites are destroyed. And at the time, they only had 400 living um, test subjects. So they were all rounded up and shot. They also um, released uh, disease-infected mice that they had been testing and managed to kill as many as 30,000 people in the surrounding area by releasing these diseased mice. The employees were sworn to secrecy and told that if they told anyone about it, they would be tried for war crimes. And um, researchers just returned to their civilian life. Um, and so basically what happens is the Japanese government, once it's taken over, um, General MacArthur decides not to try any of the Unit 731 uh, officers because in return he wanted um, all of the information that they had left because he felt that the research that they did would help the U.S. military, but he didn't want it to be published to... Ain't, ain't that some shit? Yeah. That's uh, crazy! He didn't want it published to the large... Like, he knew that if they did a war trial, it would be like Nuremberg, and everyone would know the business. So he excused all the doctors... And gave widespread amnesty to all of them in, in return for the materials that they had on disease and various other treatments. Did they have their own, like, Operation Paperclip? Basically. That's f I know. Um, it's even more upsetting. So, um, a very small number of members of the unit were Jesus. captured by the Chinese and put on trial, but only a small number were actually accused of war crimes. Instead, they were accused of things like murder and rape. So even the Chinese had a hard time pushing it because the Japanese government basically pretended like it never happened. So the members that now have their shiny new amnesty in um, occupied Japan uh, they called them graduates of Unit 731 because a lot of people went in for their residency, served out their educational period in the unit, and then went on to be doctors. Several notable members of Unit 30, 731 that were uh, forgiven for what they were done include the former governor of Tokyo, the former president of the J uh, Japanese Medical Association, the former director of the Health Ministry's Preventative Health Research Center, former chairman and president of Green Cross Corps, and the past heads of a number of medical schools. In fact, the man in charge of vivisections, Yoshisuke Murata, became the director of the respected Kyoto University Medical School and the medical director at Kinki 
uh, university. So basically, these people who did these horrible, horrible things get jobs because of it and never get tried for anything. Meanwhile, none of the Chinese, Russian, Mongolian, or Korean prisoners assigned to Unit 731, not a single one, survived. We oh estimate around 30,000 victims, but no one knows because the records were so carefully covered up. And, Jesus. just like as a final FU, um, Japan refuses to acknowledge any of the atrocities perpetuated by Unit 731. Um, so once they get that post-war agreement with the U.S., they just let the uh, researchers just return to regular life. And um, they're not even discussed or mentioned by the gover government until 1984. Eight years ago, 180 Chinese families whose relatives were attacked and brutalized in those camps sued the Japanese government for the devastation caused by Unit 31, or 731, and proved without a shadow of a doubt that their relatives died in that camp. Um, but the judge denied them compensation. The judge said, yeah, the U unit did all of those things, but they have amnesty, so they were told to go home. And that's yes. all that's been done to Unit 731. Didn't Japan just kind of recently legitimize, or maybe legitimize isn't the right word, but um, acknowledge the rape of Nanking? Yeah, they just like, Japan's government's like approach to atrocities and war crimes perpetuated by their soldiers has just been to be like, it didn't happen. Uh, I mean, it's hard. I mean, Turkey doesn't recognize the Armenian genocide, and then True. it's like... You know, I mean, like, every into... country has, like, the, the bodies in the closet, true. But it just, like, offends me to, like, the core of my being that, like, not one of these doctors even had, like, a bad time. If anything, they got a better life because of all of the horrible, horrible things yeah, they like, did to other people. Yeah, like, helped their career. Yeah, because they could say, oh, yeah, I innovated this, like, high-tech syphilis treatment. And they don't mention, you know, how many hundreds of people died. Or, like, were referred to as logs. I mean, genuinely, you guys, I cannot underestimate. I did not include the eyewitness accounts in this because they were so upsetting. Like, the New York Times one uh, has this, like, they talk about it being... They interviewed, what did they call him? Um, they were like, oh yeah, this 72-year-old farmer um, very cheerfully describes, um, the uh, explains the reason for the vivisection that he describes in gory detail. Like literally, he talks about this Chinese prisoner who'd been deliberately infected with the plague and how as he was led into the room to be vivisected, he stopped fighting because he knew there was no hope for him. And then he talks about how long it would take before the Chinese man stopped screaming. Have you ever watched um, The Act of Killing or the Look of si or A Look of Silence? No. Oh. Um, man, I really didn't think that 731 would be this political, but it's like, you know, both those documentaries talk about 
you know, mass killing and nationalistic mass killing. And of course there's like stuff about Rwanda and genocides in general. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, none of these people thought they were really doing anything wrong because they did not regard Chinese life, Russian life, you know, right. Mongolian life as important or precious compared to Japanese life. Right. Um, and that's what, like, I actually, when I first went into college, I thought I was going to go into psychology. And so I took a bunch of psych classes and abnormal psych classes. And one of the things that I wrote about a lot was mob mentality and how easy it is to get a crowd to, like, agree to things that as an individual you would never agree to. And, yeah. like, all it takes is, like, a little bit of justification, a little bit of fear factor, and you end up with, like, a mob that's willing to, like, call people logs and sit by while they get vivisected. Like, women and children, too. Yeah. Like, um, not to be the pregnant person in the room, but, like, I feel like most people have, like, a stopping point when it comes to young children. Because it killed me. Like, one of the stories is about the gas chamber and how they watched this Russian woman with her child. And they were like, oh, it was interesting to us because the Russian woman tried to cover the child as long as she could to keep it from getting, breathing in the gas. And it just... Well, Courtney, this is depressing the fuck out of me I'm right now. So... It's raining. I'm so, like, not... This is Jesus Y'all, I just want, like... The depths of human depravity. God, I am, like, so mad about the injustice of, like, this story. I don't know why I keep bringing out these stories that don't have good endings for the people who do bad things. To our listeners, I just want to say, no politics. Politics aside, you know, believe what you want to believe. But always... Always, no matter what your beliefs are, don't be scared to question them. Don't God, be scared to go back to the root of why you believe the things you do and 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 analyze that by God. I'm trying to like make this into at least it could be some growth for the human race. God bless. I just want to murder like somebody. Like it's awful. These are our two personality types that I'm like, we must, like, organize! We gotta do better than this! We gotta, like, no. see what we did wrong it bugs and face it. And you're just like, humanity sucks. <laughs> humanity I just, like, I keep bad. thinking about these, like, you know, like, Japanese families that, like, could you imagine being, like, a little, like, kid and, like, looking up at your grandfather who's always been nice and kind to you and finding out he was capable of doing these things? And, like... It's one thing, like, you get, like, atrocities in war, and I'm not excusing them by any way, shape, or form, but at least you can say, like, it was adrenaline, heat of the moment. This was 13 years of, like, documented, consistent, well-thought-out abuse. Well, not to, not to sweep it under the rug or act like it's unimportant, but maybe we should try to change gears or else... Yeah, we're going to sit here something else. We're going to sit here and be depressed for the rest of the podcast, for the rest of our lives. I'm just really upset. It's raining. I hope that... I'm glad that, that like, the thunder really added to, like, my mood. I hope that, uh, mine is a little bit more, like, tinfoil hat. So maybe we can, like, try to end on a somewhat... I don't know that it's lighter, because this is, like, a... So I don't know if we have international listeners, but if you're not, if you're American, this is an America story, so... I think we yeah. have, like, some Canadians. Woo-woo! Um, 
Justin Bieber, he impressed me with, uh, nope, I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm going to talk today <laughs> we, about... We were talking about politics before the podcast started. We were like, we, were we got our Jimmy's rustled. Politics, theology. Oh, yeah. What's Just the some topics. <laughs> like, do we have free will? Yeah. <laughs> Is it all decided? Does it matter? <laughs> it's a very millennial topic. Does any of this matter? <laughs> So guys, again, I pardon the rain. There's really nothing I can do. There's not a part in my house that would be quieter that I could record. And I mean, just I'm maybe, it. Yeah, maybe this can be like an ambiance thing that you can, you know, cuddle, cuddle a partner, cuddle a dog, get a bowl of popcorn, and uh, have a scary movie night with me. Because today I want to talk about something that I'm sure most of our listeners know about, but I, I was kind of hoping to, to go. Uh, you know, a whole holistic interpretation of Project MK Ultra. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, like I would be really surprised if our listeners were like, "I don't know what that is." But um, just to like, you know, before we get into it, just a brief overview. Um, Project MK Ultra was essentially like a uh, government-funded, CIA-controlled. Uh, mind control experimentation done on United States citizens. Oh, I love this stuff. <laughs> so, um, it you know, but it didn't start as MK Ultra. So let's go back, back to the beginning. MK Ultra we're... sounds like a delicious drink, or it's like a weird. crazy energy drink that you're like not going to remember the next eight hours of your life. It's weird because the reason it's called MK Ultra is like you remember um, like the code breaking during World War II. Like the Ultra code, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, that was Project Ultra, and uh, you know, <laughs> this <is laughs> ominous thunder. Um, but that was Project Ultra, and so MK Ultra was just the uh, psychological division of. So it was a continuation of of, a, of the intelligence um, project Ultra. So that's why it has that name. Um, but these all have pretty good names, honestly. Uh, they don't name them like they used to. I mean, is this a, yeah. a horrible, fiendish thing that the you know CIA did to the American populace? Yes. Do, do they have good names? Yes, they do. Um, so, first things first, let's start with Project Chatter. Project Chatter, so C-H-A-T-T-E-R, and I would encourage everyone, I'm going to like spell it out. All of this stuff has been um, Freedom of Information Acted, and you can find it all online, and you can read the documents yourself. I've, so our I've, FBI agents that are, like, watching and listening to us, we follow our, the rules. Our CIA agent is probably like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're on to us. So Project Chatter started in 1947, so right after um, the war, World War II, as it's sometimes called, and... Um, this is the first of a series of projects that would become part of MKUltra. Mm-hmm. Project Chatter, like the name kind of, again, they don't name them like they used to because the name kind of betrays what they were interested in. Um, Project Chatter was pitched as a test to see if LSD worked as a like antidepressant. It was um, done at the Navy Research, sorry, the Navy Medical Research Lab in Bethesda. And so... Um, they had 20 individuals, five normal. And actually, for 1947, 
they were, you know, kind of using normal, like, they were, you know, not to, like, they were kind of being like, not to say that depressed people aren't normal, which I thought for 1947 was oddly progressive. <laughs> um, but they had five um, neurotypical, we'll say, individuals and 15 depressed individuals. And they gave them LSD. And ostensibly, like, to the public, and this was a secret operation, but, you know, in sort of the budget breakdown and stuff, uh, when they're talking about the, the goals of the project, it's for depression. But when you look in the actual um, information on Project Chatter, they're really overly obsessed with what LSD does to your defenses, to your barriers and your speech. Yeah. So they, they kind of go through all these individuals and they say, okay, this guy was depressed. We gave him LSD and they used um, LSD 25, just if you're like um, a uh, chemistry nerd, but um, they would administer LSD to these patients and they would say, oh, he told us about how his mom is about to lose her house. He told us about how he was abused by his dad as a child. It's just really big emphasis on kind of the information they give up under these conditions. Um, and in particular, a big emphasis in the, in the paperwork surrounding Project Chatter that you can view is uh, the differences, not just in like what you say versus like when you're not on LSD, but also like the nonsensical parts of LSD and they're, they're really strongly selling the message that LSD makes you loopy in the beginning and end of your high. But in the middle of your high, you kind of have this like, you know, spiritual awakening where you will tell people anything. So it's not hard to figure out what they were kind of aiming at. They were yeah. in Project Chatter hoping to have invented a type of truth serum that they could give Soviet spies and they would, you know, release all their information. So they were particularly interested in finding like the perfect dose to sort of have minimal, and I'm just going to use the word goofiness, but you know, yeah, minimal hallucinations and the mood swings that come with hallucinations. That was another part they were interested in is how in the beginning and end of people's highs, they were often very, um, you know, giddy and they were, it was difficult for them to stay on topic. And then right. there was sort of this clarity moment where it seemed like they were very able to, to have an extremely honest conversation. And, and so, right. Project Chatter was originally launched as this idea to figure out truth serum. Um, it ran from 1947 to 1953. Like I said, 20 individuals were ultimately who were tested. Um, and this was in Bethesda, Maryland. And so it was 20 individuals from the Maryland area. Um, obviously the 15 depressed people, I use kind of air quotes cause like, what is a depressed person? But the yeah. 15 depressed people were from uh, their mental patients. And then the five normal were just, you know, five people off the street. Project hmm. Chatter turned did they, into- did they consent to this or was this like the government just picking up people randomly um i mean so we've kind of talked about it in the past on this podcast with like the doe um experiments with you know like the syphilis experiments in the cropsy hospital that i talked about oftentimes you were given very minimal information you were just told like you've been selected for a trial on a new medicine that might cure depression or on a new treatment plan that might cure depression. 
And for the five like individuals, it was just, you know, volunteers. Um, so Project Chatter, this is before, we'll get into it, but eventually you're going to start seeing like people drugged on the street and brought to places where they don't know where they are. That hadn't happened yet. Um, it was such a small sample size in Project Chatter that, um, it, honestly, pro with Project Chatter, you start to see what I kind of consider them testing the waters to see how people will receive this. I mean, they got their funding very easily. There were no big problems with this um, experiment. And so with Project Chatter, I think you sort of see that they realize that um, the United States government and the CIA are about to kind of be given like carte blanche, a blank check, like, you know, do whatever you, you want as long as you can get truth serum. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of escalated in Project Bluebird. Now, this is from Project Bluebird's official like mission statement um, as listed like by the director of Project Bluebird in a information packet that was part of like an expense report. And, and, and it was all part of a like a dossier sent in. Uh, this was done by the CIA. Mm. And I'm just going to get into it for a second. The purpose of this project is to provide for the immediate establishment of interrogation terms for the operational support of OSO and OPC activities. The teams will utilize the polygraph, drugs, and hypnotism to attain the greatest results in interrogation techniques. And so Project Bluebird started in 1951 and it ran to 1953, so it kind of ran up against the very end of Project Chatter. And that is where they're starting to really like explore, you know, conditions that they can make that will make people confess to stuff. So they've they've unlocked this idea that LSD in particular and mescaline to a lesser extent, but primarily LSD because LSD was very accessible because it could be manufactured in a lab. Yeah. Whereas mescaline like is a naturally occurring. Anyway, um so with Project Bluebird, that's where they start, you know, really testing in an interrogation setting these effects. Because before it was like a medical clinical, you know, I mean, it wasn't like an opt out thing for the 15 depressed individuals, but it was like a medical research lab. Yeah. Um, Project Bluebird, and then it will lead to Project Artichoke. You know, these projects are really designed to uh, sort of replicate the environment of interrogation and to do it to people who don't know what's going on to sort of replicate with the uh, people being experimented on, like, you know, similarly to like if a Russian spy were to be taken in, you know, yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't know what's going on. And so this is where in Project Bluebird and Project Artichoke, they start getting people off the street. Um, oh, no. There were a variety of ways of doing that, and I'm actually going to save it for um, a, a little bit later down because... You know, I just want to, the, the whole effect of it is, is culminated in a project that happens a little bit later on. But suffice to say, these were people off the street. And just like as a spoiler, the most common way was that they would go to bars that were seedy. And they mostly operated at this point out of San Francisco. And they would go to bars that were kind of seedy with sort of like people that wouldn't be missed or sort of like, and I, I hate this term, but you know what in 1953 would be considered kind of like the dregs of society, sex workers, drug addicts, mentally ill people, the very, very, very poor racial minorities. And they would um, drug them and take them away. Oh, and nice. so that was, you know, one of the ways they did it. So Project Bluebird segues into Project Artichoke. So we've got Chatter to Bluebird and then 
Project Bluebird becomes Project Artichoke. Mm. Now, while Project Chatter was sort of its own thing, Project Artichoke was a straight continuation of the goals of Project Bluebird, but with this, uh, this new sort of information, again, from some Freedom of Information uh, documents that you can, you can find very easily online, uh, this is their mission statement. Artichoke is the agency, capital agency as in Central Intelligence Agency, cryptogram for the study and or use of special interrogation methods and techniques. These special, air quotes, interrogations have been known to include the use of drugs and chemicals, hypnosis, and total isolation, a form of psychological harassment. And so again, you see in Project Artichoke, we're really ramping up into the beginnings of MKUltra of putting people in prolonged distressing environments and especially this is where it goes from becoming interrogation techniques um the very end of project artichoke it's where it goes from being just straight like how can we interrogate people into what else can we do if we have people in these really psychologically fragile mindsets yeah um you know they realize over the course of these experiments on like the human populace that people are very very vulnerable when they are scared drugged hypnotized and put in isolation like oh, they're very yeah and so <laughs> right um and so the very end of project artichoke is when uh the cia in particular starts thinking well what are some other uses we might could have uh, that we could you know try to to do for these people when they're in this incredibly emotionally and, and psychologically vulnerable position. And that is what leads us to Project MK Ultra and Project MK Naomi. Um, I, this is the part where I say, I, I, would, I would wager that most of our listeners know the drill and there are like a million podcasts on MK Ultra in and of itself. They don't talk about all this other stuff. And I'm gonna go into some specifics of MK Ultra that I, I don't hear spoke, like, spoken about. But I mean, so you know the drill. MK Ultra is, you know, they're, they're taking sex workers, drug addicts, asylum patients, the mentally ill and prisoners, and they are keeping them in cap, like a captive environment where they are doing these, you know, techniques on them of, I mean, so, you know, for instance, when all of the uh, findings or controversy. I don't really know the correct word to use there, but when, you know, all that information was coming out about Guantanamo Bay and the advanced yeah. interrogation techniques of Guantanamo Bay, same stuff is being done in MK Ultra. Um, keeping them up for really long hours, blasting them with music. Essentially, the goal okay. of the CIA in these MK Ultra experiments was whatever we have to do to completely break a person down emotionally, we will do it. And they were always trying new things to see how that would work. Well, yeah, all... you'd want to be effective. Yeah. So and at the... yeah. So at the same time, they're also and this is um, you know not to our current knowledge done in Guantanamo Bay, but you know dosing them with LSD. Which I mean, I have never done LSD, but if it's how it says it is, I imagine is an extremely frightful situation because like what's the biggest thing people have on lsd is hallucinations so you're kept up all the time you're kept underground in isolation um mk ultra is where we get that idea of the one-way glass you're kept in a room with the mm. lights on with you know people are watching you but they won't speak to you you don't know if they're there or not at any given time 
and you're just hallucinating vividly for days and days and days and days and days. Um, so their only goal... Hmm? Sorry, this may be a dumb question. Wouldn't using drug addicts or people who are already mentally ill or, like, have a history of, like, unstable mental processes kind of, like, cause problems for your uh, experimentation? Like, you're not getting, like, a baseline that would be average. So by the time they're doing MK Ultra, they've sort of moved on to the actionable part of the idea. So the the sort of like the um, you know methodologies are perfected in Project Artichoke and Project Chatter, and so they're on to the active part of it now. And so they're starting with individuals essentially who like wouldn't be missed, um, because you know a big part of this technique is that they have to be abducted for days and weeks Mm -hmm. and so they were starting with these individuals who wouldn't be missed and who especially like in the cases of like a drug addict or like the mentally ill I mean and it wasn't like every mentally ill person was equal in their eyes or every drug addict was equal in their eyes they were obviously like casing people for a particular you know uh viewpoint or whatever but uh at this point, they're really trying to see, like, they're just sort of trying to see, like, what can we do to these individuals to actually begin the process of brainwashing them for the purposes of the United States government? Mm-hmm. In, in particular, one of the mission uh, goals of MK Ultra is that they wanted people to be able, they wanted to have people be, rather, in a position where if they were told by an authoritative figure, like, it, Courtney, not to, like, be really grim, but if you were told, like, um, go smother your daughter right now, you wouldn't even say, like, that's wrong. She's my daughter. I love her. She's a child. You would think, okay. And, and they were, that was, like, a big goal was can we get people, and that's, like, specifically how they write it out, can we get people to break all, like, laws of man and their own moral convictions and their own faiths can we now demolish hug my all... daughter after this episode because <laughs> you might be mk ultra <laughs> um that was a goal was to completely sort of break down the psyche so that you were susceptible to any condition okay. that you would believe anything to be true yeah. and like for instance one of the things they did during mk ultra is um they would play audio over and over again that sort of, like, affirmed something that might not be true to you. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, I don't have any children. And they might play audio to me that says, you are a wonderful mother. You are, like, the best mother in the world. And they would play that for me for, like, days while dosing me with LSD and dosing me with mescaline. And then, you know, the idea being that I would go out into the world... And I would say, I'm a wonderful mother and, and believe that so totally. And that would be like my new viewpoint that I viewed the world by. And so, you know, there was a sort of a double sided goal there. One that you could take people who were, you know, uh, faithful to the Soviet government and the ideals of communism, and you could brainwash them against those things, but also that you could take like hippies and derelicts and drug addicts and the dregs of society, again, to use that term, 
And you could turn them into, like, upstanding moral characters of their community. Mm. And so it was sort of a double-sided idea that you could break down the Soviet people. Um, and, it, I mean, I'm not saying that the Soviet Union was, like, their only aim. It was certainly but, their primary focus. Yeah. Um, but that they also could use this to, like, in their worldview, like, benefit society. Um, they also, towards the end of MK Ultra used CIA employees and military personnel and government agents. Um, this is where things get really dicey because um, MK Ultra was still happening um, during, and not at the level that it was when it started, but it was still an active project during Watergate. And so when Watergate happened, they started destroying all evidence of MKUltra. And so most of the documentation about MKUltra is sort of just, it was destroyed um, in Watergate. Similarly, there was also like MK Delta and MK Naomi. And we know these were projects done by the MK unit, which is like the psychological unit of the CIA. Um, but we know nothing about MK Naomi and we know nothing about MK Delta other than we know they were projects, they were done, and there's like no documentation other than just the names kind of cropping up. Oh, comforting. Um, and sort of not, you know, even associated texts, but just sort of like the, anyway. So uh, there was MK Delta and MK Naomi, but we don't. I mean, you can look online and there is a lot of um, people postulating what it might have been, but. As I, you know, I always feel like truth is crazy enough. There's no need to get too far afield. That's true. Um, at least to me. Yeah. Two, two things. Already weird. <laughs> two things in particular I thought um, were interesting about um, MK Ultra was Subproject Sixty Eight, which was like it says a sub a subproject of MK Ultra, and um, one of the beginning uh, parts of of MK Ultra, which was Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> so, uh, Operation Midnight Climax ran from 1954 to 1966. I'm sorry, how is that not a porn title? Well, I think that the title, like I said, they don't make them like they used to, but I, th I think the title is alluding to, because this, to me, is pretty crazy. So, this was early days of MK Ultra, 1954, and they were drugging people in bars... This was in San Francisco and in New York that they had, like, safe houses. Oh, good. And... You ain't been roofied until your government's done it. So, yeah, they were essentially roofing people in bars, and they were dragging them back to these safe houses. And, again, the classic MK Ultra setup um, sort of perfected during Operation Midnight Climax with... You know, the one-way glass, the bright room, um, and all the same kind of psychological stuff. Uh, was happening, but particularly, I it almost seems like perhaps CIA agents were just horny when it came to Operation Midnight Climax because they would do all the MK Ultra stuff. They would dose them with LSD. They'd break them down psychologically, mm -hmm. and then when they um, got them really vulnerable, they just made them tell all their sex stories. What? And so they would take this, like, sexual deviancy, and this is, like, an example of why people who, like, people were MK-Ultra'd, and, you know, they don't often remember these experiences because they're so kind of insane, and they were Aliens. often, you know, dosed with a lot of LSD at the end, specifically to forget, you know, the, the details of the experience, but 
Operation Midnight Climax, that wasn't so. People often remembered that experience. They just didn't say anything because now there were people who knew the intimate details of their sex life. And so I think it's particularly interesting, like San Francisco and New York, uh, it seems to be in the, the documents relating to Operation Midnight Climax that they were particularly targeting, like, gay men. Mm-hmm. And that way, that, you know, that these men didn't want to out themselves. Um, the other thing that they would do if it wasn't gay men is they would uh, have men who were um, straight or, you know, who am I to say, but presenting heterosexual. Mm-hmm. And they would lure them to these safe houses... Um, by having them meet prostitutes on the street that would work for them and they would bring, you know, the women back or the women would bring the men back and then they'd be like, well, do you want your wife to know that you're visiting a prostitute? Do you want your boss to know? And so I think that's particularly interesting that that it's so sex-based in Operation Midnight Climax because it it does seem like um, maybe the CIA was just really strange. I wish you could have seen my expression when you said operation midnight climax and then you were like the cia was horny (laughs) i I got really frightened for a while um well and i wanted to bring up project midnight climax before i bring up subproject 68 because subproject 68 is some of the most secretive let me put down my pen and paper if you heard that um (laughs) subproject 68 is some of the most secretive parts of MK Ultra, it's also probably the saddest. And so, um, Subproject 68 uh, was obviously a subproject of MK Ultra, and it was actually in Montreal, Canada, but the United States government funded it and the CIA helped facilitate it. So it was still, you know, and it was, yeah. it was paid for out of the MK Ultra budget. And um, there's little we know about it, except that we know that it was um, some of the harshest. Uh, experimentation happened in Subproject 68. Mm-hmm. And so Subproject 68, um, the doctor who oversaw it was obsessed with, like, psychological warfare on people. And so he was interested in, you know, not just putting people in a delirious state, but really breaking them psychologically. And mm-hmm. um, he had all these coins that he termed that we, you know, we know the guy who did it, and um, he had his own medical literature um, associated, like, with his career, and that was a particular interest of his, was, um, like, the the ways that the human body and the human, like, being just kind of, like, shuts down. Yeah. Um, and so his hypothesis was often that, like, physical pain was necessary, so while a lot of MK Ultra was about you know at worst things like you know exposing people to harsh temperatures or obviously keeping people awake is a physical thing as well and that like has physical implications i mean the day after daylight savings is like the highest day for heart attacks i heard don't quote me on that but you know that heart attacks go way up after daylight savings because not sleeping is terrible yeah. for you and, and losing that hour of sleep has implications for people um, so I mean that all is physical but it's clear that what we know about subproject 68 is that you know and it was done specifically in Canada and and done to this research or you know done by this researcher who was very into the idea of hurting people 
hurting people to uh, break them psychologically. There's so many things that, like, you assume are done and they're not. Like, I was reading some news article that was, like, talking about a high school that desegregated in 2017. Oh, um, did you ever watch that Morgan Freeman documentary about how in, in, in certain districts in Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, like the Deep South, they still have segregated proms? Yeah. And, and that, that Alabama didn't approve the uh, 13th Amendment until like last year. So, like it was somewhere like really, really recent. Oh, yeah. They didn't like ratify it. Yeah. yeah. Um. I know Mississippi didn't ratify the 13th Agreement until, I think, like, the, the 90s. Yeah. Was, I, remember I didn't that think that was, up. like, optional. Um, well, I mean, in the case of, like, ratifying something to your state constitution, it doesn't always, like... Matter? It doesn't always... Yeah, it doesn't always mean anything. Um, yeah. in, in this case, though, I mean, like, literally in Alabama, I believe, as recently, the last time I looked it up was 2018, there are school districts that still have literally white prom and black prom. Ugh. And so if you're white, you have to go to white prom. If you're black, you go to black prom. And and they pitch it. The modern, like, pitch is, A, uh, it's always been done this way. You know, it's the tradition of this town. And B, like, oh, but this way, like, you know, black people get their own prom. And they get their own time. Oh, good, yeah. You know? Like, Separate but equal. It's like a celebration. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fucking moronic. I'm sorry. I'm, like, cussing up a storm. <laughs> but, um... It's stupid. Yeah, the the whole thing. I mean, the most recent that comes to my mind is, yeah, it was it? I thought it was Raytheon that had a pain gun. Do you know what oh I'm talking about? Gosh. Raytheon was working on technology. They essentially wanted that you could like have a gun that could shoot like a sound wave at people, and this sound wave would bring like instant pain. That it would oh, set okay. off your pain receptors, and it would be like this, you know nerve pain in your whole body and um they were testing that on prisoners oh yeah well, and we like, haven't heard about it in like 10 years so you know it might have worked it was like a smaller version of that i was just reading an article about a prisoner who died in louisiana from heat exhaustion because they were using him to train police dogs in a full oh. white suit in like 100 degree plus temperatures I, and paying him probably, I mean, I remember this story, yeah. and I, it was, I'm sure, I mean, what That's is it, the absurd. legal wage to pay prisoners is like 12 cents an hour or something? Yeah. Some ludicrously low, yeah, absolute, um, I mean, God, it's what, 100 and something degrees in New York, and Shoot, I Rikers doesn't have I was always taught as a dog handler not to put my dog in situations like that, and they're gonna not only, like just dismiss the fact that it's too hot for like animals and humans to be function and make a man get into a carpet suit and get chased i thought this was in midland it i thought it was i thought this was in texas no i mean i i I just i feel like i almost sent it to you but then i thought you would be like that i would come off as i was like against police i don't know against cleo or against cleo's rights well cleo's not a police dog even if she does come from him but yeah it's like her mom and dad i don't want to like come for cleo's mom and dad i've never met them (laughs) no maybe they're near and dear to cleo's heart her parents she doesn't care about anyone she's literally because she can hear me talking about her she's got her nose under the door and she's just (laughs) breathing (laughs) hey girl but yeah so that was mk ultra which really did happen (laughs) and um 
Man, this is a depressing... Why did I choose this topic? <coughs> next week, we're doing demons. Demons. Well, next, next time. Woohoo! <coughs> I'm dying. <coughs> it's the demons. <coughs> They're taking the me demons. now. Um, yes, next week. So, guys, that was human experimentation. Yeah, so um, vote on which depressing story you want. I'm not even going to come up with funny team names this week because yeah, they've like, depressed like, me. Yeah, just MK Ultra. Yeah, MK Ultra versus Unit 731. Pick your poison. You want a American atrocity or a Japanese atrocity? Yeah, I kind of had used up some of the good American... A good... You guys know what I mean. Of course, I don't... I'm not implying that any of these are good, but the interesting American Yeah, I thought about doing the syphilis testing on African, uh, African-American communities. So that's really upsetting. Which really happened! Which happened! I just did a shout-out, so I hope y'all pick that up. If you're looking for ways governments have covered up bad things. Yes. Um... Yeah, so we'll be back with Demons, and that's going to be our Patreon episode this month, too, right, is Demons. Yeah, so what we thought we would do is we were going to do a episode on, like, demonic possession, something along those lines, for general listeners, and then if you are one of our special happy super unicorn folk who uh, support us on Patreon, we will also be doing a history or, like, discussion of demonology and the transition over the years which yeah. should be fun. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. This is kind of one of my pet subjects. If you were on Patreon, you uh, I did a bonus episode already over Ouija boards and Ouija board demons. So mm-hmm. here's my chance to whip out some more demonic knowledge. Yeah, so we're going to be doing kind of like just a history, a primer yeah. on, you know, what what are <laughs> what are they yeah i um, mean like things like uh like where did demons come from where do they show up in like the bible do they show up in other societies like all of this is really interesting i've had somebody before ask me why like lucifer um as the devil is described in the old testament as the most beautiful of angels but in pictures he's like the scary goat man Stuff uh-huh. like that. Uh, it's an interesting transition and kind of retelling to make sure that people aren't interested in demons. Um, but yeah, that'll be our Patreon thing. That and then um, after the demon episode, like we said, we're just going to go on a short break. Um, yeah. Courtney's got to have a, a child and I got to start law school and move. Yes. So Both um, equally stressful. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I mean... I remember the first week of grad school, and like you're not like really doing anything yet, and but and you're having stressed. A lot of, you're pre-stressed. Yes, I was so anxious. Like, am I supposed to be doing? And there's like nothing you could possibly be doing the first week of grad school. I still school. have like panics over like that I've forgotten something, and it's purely just like holdovers from undergrad and grad school. Because you, you have feel the like dream, like the dream where. You uh, you signed up for a class and you never went. <laughs> yes. Shoot, I have that as the teacher. So, yeah. guys, yeah, if you want to get on Facebook, get on Twitter, vote on who you liked best. Yeah, if you or... haven't followed us on Twitter, you should. Uh, or We're about to Facebook blow up group. and act like we don't know nobody, so <laughs> you guys got to get in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I mean, on Facebook and Twitter, we can interact with you directly. If you're feeling fancy, you can spend $2 and join our Patreon crew, 
and $2. get access that's to the bonus price of a Butterfinger. Yeah, that's cheaper than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, two so bucks yeah, a month. Guys, come hang out with us. Come be our friend on Patreon. And like I said, next episode. Well, we're going to hang out, and then we're going to be back in time for Halloween spooky stuff, so never fear. It's going to be an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny. Yeah. We will be back. We'll still be on Facebook (laughs) and Twitter and around. We just won't be posting new stuff. Well, you ready to go? Yeah. It's still raining. It's still raining. Guys, let the rain fall down. Watch out for government operatives. Uh, Don't trust anyone. Question everything. Cover your drink when you're at the bar. That's a good lesson for us all. For sure. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.